questions, let me pray as we prepare to think about the scriptures together. Father, we thank you for our worship. We thank you that grace has appeared to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the apostles and the early church who proclaim this message of grace and that generations upon generations pass this message of grace on to us. We thank you now that we can rest in Christ and we pray as we look at this final teaching on the Sabbath practice that we may think about what it means to worship you, our Lord of grace. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Think about a smartphone for a moment. It keeps you connected to other people, people you love. It gives you access to a world of knowledge. It acts as an alarm, a flashlight, and even a diary. It causes you to panic when you lose it. That was me this morning for half an hour before church because I need it for the liturgy. Even though it lives in our hands, our pockets, for some of us, next to our pillows even, it's easy to replace. When we finish our phone plans, we often go back to the phone shop and purchase the next new and latest version. At that very moment, our old smartphone becomes obsolete. We celebrate. The old is gone. And the new is here as we hold it in the air, often taking a selfie and say, look at this fancy new camera. Even more precision than the last phone I had. We trade it out for the next new thing. In the story of the Bible, there's also a crucial swap between the old and the new. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. At that moment, the, t- the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open, says Matthew. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Many heard the, the phrase, he is risen. The angels said it. People said it. In that very moment, the old Jewish order passed away and the new order dawned. The resurrected body of Jesus is a sign of that new way. This is why the people of Jesus no longer observe the old Jewish ceremonial practices of the Sabbath. The old order of priestly rituals and animal sacrifices for the purification of sin are now obsolete and have now disappeared, as Hebrews teaches us. Through his death, Christ is the end of the law. All those ceremonial practices and legal practices to keep the community of Israel united no longer really have much impact because Jesus is here. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the law embodied. And when we follow him, we find what the law was pointing to. The realities of the law fulfilled in him. Christ is the end of the law. The death of Jesus fulfilled the old religious festivals, the new moon celebrations, the Sabbath feasts. We are now made right before God by faith in Christ and not by keeping the law. Says Paul. And so what I'm saying is this. We should no longer observe the old ceremonial Sabbath of animal sacrifices. For the old Shabbat, 
has finished in Jesus. The temple curtain has been torn from top to bottom. The old system has gone. Yet, we need to be careful here. A new order of stopping, of resting, of delighting, of worshipping has come. The old Sabbath that started on Friday was fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus on Saturday. We are now people who dwell in Christ and celebrate the resurrection day, the Lord's day, the true day of rest. And so seeing this connection between old and new, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which was written by Anglicans in the 16th century, said... This Lord's Day really is the Christian Sabbath because people are now finding their rest in Jesus, not in the practices of the law. But what did the early church do? What did they do on this new day, the Lord's Day, the Resurrection Day? Well, look with me on the screen there. Paul broke bread and preached to his fellow disciples on the first day, Sunday, of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Hands up if you'd like to be here till midnight. No one? Couldn't put up with a 12-hour sermon? <laughs> no wonder someone died. <laughs> on the Lord's Day, John received a vision from Jesus on the island of Patmos. And when he crafted the book of Revelation, he said, on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, I was in spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet who received a revelation from God. Also, the church of Corinth gathered to support the work of ministry. On the first day of the week, Sunday, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. In the New Testament, the Lord's Day was a time where the apostles and the early church practiced generosity and fellowship, breaking bread. They listened to the teaching of the apostles and John received visions of the Lord. The early church fathers also embraced this new day. Who are the early church fathers? Well, you have the New Testament, which is in, within the first century written, and then you have the next generation which are the early church fathers. And when we have questions about what happened in the New Testament, we often can make sense of those confusing texts by seeing the practices of the early church because they're the ones who carried on the apostolic legacy in the New Testament. And so we read in AD 110, Ignatius said, we have come to the possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath. And what he's referring to is the Jewish Sabbath, but living in the observance of the Lord's day on which all our life has sprung up again by him and by his death. Half a century later, in AD 155, Justin Martyr said, but Sunday is the day in which we are all holding our common assembly because it's the first day of which Jesus Christ, our Saviour, on the same day rose from the dead. And many centuries later, in AD 345, Athanasius said, the Sabbath was the end of the first creation. The Lord's Day was the beginning of the second. So we honour the Lord's Day as be becoming the memorial of the new creation. And so I've been teaching over the past few, few years at the resurrection of Jesus, the new creation, 
the world that is to come launched in our present. And it's continually growing to the one day at the end of um, Revelation, the new creation will come in all its fullness. We call this the now, but not yet tension. And so with all this said, I'm just trying to lay a final foundation for this thing called rest. When the old was replaced for the new, the early church rose to celebrate Jesus, the first fruits of the world to come. The church rested and delighted and fed themselves with the gifts of God on Sunday in the Lord Jesus. And as they did that, they anticipated the world that is to come, which is the final um, end point which God is bringing us to, which is the new creation, a world full of peace, rest, no more tears, no more crying. The old order of things would have passed away and the new order of things would have come in its fullness. And so to summarize what I'm saying is this, and this is the foundation through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the old Sabbath ceremony was superseded, was ended by the new Lord's Day, the resurrection day. And so we now find our rest in Jesus. And the early church from its very beginning got together on Sunday to celebrate that deep, rich rest in God. Is everyone with me? Got that? The old is gone, the new is here in Jesus. Why should we stop to worship every Lord's Day? Well, I'd like to have four practical implications for you today. We should stop each Lord's Day because when we stop to worship, our hearts are transformed. To, pra- to practice the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, is like all spiritual disciplines. It is a repeated action that God uses to transform us from deep within. In essence, spiritual disciplines are habits, practices, experiences that are designed to develop us, grow us, strengthen us. They are like structured workouts. Does anyone here go to the gym? No one? Am I the only one? Well, I go to the gym and I try to build muscle. And as I keep on going, that muscle increases in strength. I've actually had to change my plan because of, you know, I don't want to get too big, but I've been going to the gym. It trains me, helps me become fitter. That's kind of like what's happening at the church every Sunday. It's like your spiritual gym session when you come, worship, feed yourself on the bread of mine, listen to the apostle's word being proclaimed through the scriptures. When you hear the word proclaimed from me, when you hear prayers for the people and the world, God is using these experiences to transform you, to change who you are from deep within. The spiritual disciplines are a way we clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus. The hope is that as we pray, serve, meditate, praise every Sunday, God will transform the affections of our heart and minds to make us more like Jesus. Not just on Sunday, but in all of life. Donald S. Whitney, who wrote a book on spiritual disciplines, says... Although God will grant Christ's likeness to us when Jesus returns, until then he intends for us to grow toward it. 
We aren't merely to wait for holiness. We're to pursue it. The event of worship each week is that discipline, that time to help us to pursue Christ-likeness. And so that's the first reason why I reckon we should all stop. The second reason why I think we should stop to worship each Lord's Day is it leads to gospel remembrance. The Lord's Day is a time where we encounter the story of Jesus Christ, not just encounter, but be invited to live into this story because the word of God is alive and active even today. God is still at work. We are in the middle of church history and God is still doing his work in the world today. And we are invited as we come and worship to play a role in that continual story that will finish and go on into eternity when Jesus returns. But the sad reality is, this discipline of gospel remembrance is often forgotten. Let me give you an example of what can happen. There was a story of a tribal village that received electric light bulbs. Every night, families would turn their lights on, but soon a problem arose. Families would sit inside and stare at the lights rather than spend that quality time every evening around the communal fire. Nighttime had always been the time where the century-old stories of the tribe were shared, listened to, and passed on to the next generation. Now they stared at the light bulb instead. The problem with the light bulb is not that it emits light. The problem was that it didn't create meaningful connections. The light bulb took attention away from the time that was needed to pass on the cultural stories of this people. Sadly, over a few generations, the tribe lost its identity. The kids had forgotten the story. Friends, worship together is the primary place that we remember the gospel not just for ourselves, but for future generations. I want you to take on a long-term view of remembrance. You're not just guarding your own faith. You're guarding the faith of your grandkids, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids, great-great-great-grandkids. Imagine that I had a chain and Jason's holding the other end of that chain. You are a piece in that chain. And to ensure that this gospel continues to that emerging generation, we need to ensure that we are remembering ourselves or else that chain will be broken. That chain will be broken. And it's hard because we're living in a culture and climate where we're moving into a post-Christian era and we are all staring at different light bulbs in our community. If only people stop staring at the light bulbs and came back to staring at the light of salvation, the son of righteousness, who has risen from the dead and declares, I am the one who came to give you eternal life, life forever with me, the Father and the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you the hard question before we move on. Do you have a light bulb? What is your light bulb? How is it a distraction? How is it interfering with your gospel remembrance? 
Do you find it hard to resist? I ask these questions out of love because I know that over time these good things can zap our souls, causing us to fall away from faith altogether. It's sad. This is the story of many of my school friends. Let us then not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so that's the second reason why I think we should stop to worship every Sunday, gospel remembrance. The third reason is radical trust. The Lord's Day worship is one of the ways we learn to put our faith in God. When we sing songs in praise, of praise in worship, we place our trust in the God who has revealed himself as our provider, as our sustainer, as our redeemer. Take the Psalms, for example. We learn to trust that God protects us when we worship. My God, I trust you. Please don't let me be put to shame. Don't let my enemies rejoice over me. We learn to trust that God keeps his promises. Those who know your name trust you because you have not abandoned any who seek you, Lord. We learn to trust that God is near to us. The Lord is close to everyone who calls out to him, to all who call out to him sincerely. One scholar says the Psalms drip with this double ring of worship and trust. When we worship, when we gather, we're placing our trust in God. Are you hearing that? <laughs> Since the Lord says the climax of our earthly worship to stop, rest and delight in God together is an act of radical, absolute faith. Because when we stop, we're saying this to the world. You will be right without me for a little while. I'm not in control. God, you're in control. I'm not a functional atheist who needs to control all matter and time out of my sheer desperation to get the next job done. I trust in you, Lord. I worship you. The Psalms drip with the double ring of worship and trust. Another scholar says the Sabbath dissipates our desire to take ourselves too seriously and helps us rightly to take God seriously in worship. It is the day that we are reminded that we are full of God's spirit, not full of ourselves. It's a radical act of faith. And the final reason, it's more of a warning, but I'm just trying to keep my structure, my outline, Spiritual warfare. The Lord's day leads to spiritual warfare. One pastor said, the devil never takes a day off, so I won't. That pastor, friends, is deceived. The devil should never be a framework for our lives. For the greatest desire of the devil is that we are formed into his image to become like him. And there's this quote, if the devil cannot make us bad, he'll make you what? Busy. And so be careful. If you're striving to rest under the easy and light yoke of Jesus, please be careful because guess what? The world, the flesh and the devil will come after you. 
particularly on the first day of the week. They'll come hard at you. They'll put pressure on you. Why weren't you at that party? Why weren't you out in the paddock doing that labour with us? Why weren't you here? The devil attacks those who worship God. I experience in my own life. He'll place us into awkward and complex situations with our work colleagues and maybe people who we are in relationship with. He'll put in our hearts a lustful craving for those light bulbs that I mentioned earlier. He'll try to cause conflict and division in our families. And sadly, many families give up on worship altogether because it's just so hard. And so be on guard. The man and woman of God who detaches themselves away from the world to worship God with his people must expect to experience a spirit of deception, a spirit that seeks to assault us by the darkness. A great resource that I recommend is the Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's all about this. And there are actually stories within that book of a senior devil training a little junior devil about how we can stop people from worship or even come to worship and try to cause division and conflict, etc. Because the devil is waging war against what Christ is trying to build and will build. And so be on guard. It leads to spiritual warfare when you worship. Friends, to end this teaching, this series on the Sabbath, let me remind you that the old Sabbath day has gone. Have you heard that? It's gone. The Jewish way is finished in Jesus' death. However, we can now embrace this new way of rest in Christ. And the early church observed the Lord's day to find that rest in the Lord. And please also hear this. As you stop and rest on the Lord's day, um, you might experience the spirit of restfulness in all your lives, as I have. The idea here is that you're spending time deeply in your week to stop and savour the Lord. And so friends, let us then stop, rest, delight and worship our Lord of Resurrection who produces us and gives us true rest for our souls. Amen.